0: That's who. Regardless of what he's doing, high school, collegiate, doing the Colts post-game show, Greg Rakesraw joins us. So Shane Steichen putting the hammer down on a couple of players today.
1: Well, that is clearly something that is different in years gone by to now, and that is player accountability. And we have often talked about that in terms of level of performance. You know, think about Dion Jackson. Think about kind of Daryl Baker, you know, being in the doghouse earlier this season. He didn't see Tony Brown nor Isaiah McKenzie in the game on Saturday and knew that something was up. But clearly, it is something significant if there have been three additional games tacked onto that uh, for the remainder of the regular season.
0: Yeah, I mentioned, too, and bringing Greg on here, that that may have been the worst defensive performance we have seen uh, in a Pacer team in a long, long while. Did we see the best quarterback performance of Gardner Minshew? I mean, here, certainly, but maybe even ever, I thought he was tremendous, and especially that Colts offense in the second half.
1: He was absolutely fantastic. And frankly, the numbers weren't as good as your eyeballs would tell you he was. He was better than 18 for 28 for 215 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. His quarterback rating was up there. Anything north of 100 is solid. He was 123.4. You know, I, I can literally think of a couple of passes that were errant, you know, one that was deflected because of his height. He kind of has to deal with that. He had the one, literally the one time they threw the ball on that drive that took nine minutes where they ran up the first 13 plays. That throw to Pierce was a bit high. You know, the numbers that Gardner had was fantastic, um, and he had some drops that were mixed in there as well, a rare pit drop. The obvious DJ Montgomery drop in the end, so he literally will make up for the very next drive with that touchdown grab. But you're right. Um, you know, for for all because of the no names in terms of Sermon and Goodson and Montgomery, Gardner's performance kind of got a, a little bit on Saturday night. But he was absolutely fantastic. I think other than special teams, that was the best effort from the Colts this season. And clearly that was the case for Gardner Minshew on Saturday as well.
0: It's a Greg Racer on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Of course, the Colts post-game show host. He has you again coming up on Christmas Eve after the Colts take on the Atlanta Falcons down in Atlanta. I mentioned this to Stephen Holder yesterday. I thought that was as close to a perfect performance for this group. For this group, and minus who, you know, may have been out there and and no longer was, for example, like Michael Pittman Jr., I thought that that was as near perfect for that group offensively as they could get. And, again, that particular group. Would you agree? I would agree.
1: Uh, And, again, for the Colts, and I I realize the Steelers aren't a great team, but they're pretty successful defensively. Their defense has kept them in games. Colts torched them, you know, for 30 points in that game and again you don't have jonathan taylor then you lose zach moss you don't have michael Pittman jr who has been by far your most reliable player on offense the entirety of the year he had four catches and 78 yards before he left but again dj montgomery had three career nfl catches before that game he played for the michigan panthers the last couple of guys that we talked about in the National Football League that played for the Michigan Panthers were Bobby Bear and Anthony Carter. <sighs> Trey Sermon had 223 yards career yards rushing for that game. He had 88. Tyler Goodson had not had a carry in the National Football League. He had a 31-yard run. So, as I said in the postgame show on Saturday night, that was a victory for the entire organization. That spoke volumes to the job that Chris Ballard has done, and every general manager talks about this. And we'll talk about a roster depth from, say, 1 through 53. Chris will say from 1 through 90 in terms of the preseason. And now because of the practice squad, maybe you say it's 1 through 69. But that was a win for the entire organization, by the way, that 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 group stepped up with the key pieces that were missing, again, against a a not-a-great team, but one you're fighting for for a playoff spot, and against pretty good defense now think about this. You know, Pittsburgh and Cleveland are two of the best defenses in the league. And the Colts have put more than 30 points up against both of those teams. It shows you just the job that Shane Sykin has done as a play caller and a play designer this year.
0: This is Greg Rakeshraw, the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I'm going to go ahead and go down the pecking order here. The first game on Saturday was IU – a little bit afternoon about twelve thirty down in Bloomington against number two Kansas. They lose uh, a large lead in the second half, twelve thirteen or so. They lose that game. Boilermakers beat Arizona. Purdue back to number one. Indiana State over Ball State, and then obviously Butler back in action against Georgetown later on tonight. Starting with IU. Run down your thoughts of the past week for some of our local collegiate basketball teams.
1: Where we're glossing over IUPUI and Lindenwood is is what you're telling me. Well, well I can so bring
0: I can bring that up because yeah, I, I did want to ask you. I just I, <laughs> I I I don't I don't I like Luke a great deal, and I think Luke is going to end up doing what is best. I've often wondered why that basketball program cannot catch any traction and I want to see it do so, and I don't want to see it get clowned like it got clowned a little bit yeah. on, on when was that, Saturday? with uh, what's, yeah. that, what's that dude that went out there and tried to check in on the LeBron jersey? But you were doing that yeah. game, right?
1: And the Lord knows, my phone has been blowing up about that for the last couple of days, uh, and for the most part, uh, I have done what I have done in terms of the actual play-by-play call of that happening, which is ignore it completely. Yeah. But, yes, uh, the Luke of which you speak is Luke Basso, our shared friend who's the new director of athletics at IUPUI, and I do think brighter days are ahead for that program. Saturday's not one of them. Now i will actually go and answer your question. Uh, And so in in terms of Indiana University, it was better. Um, And, again, when you play at a level at which they play, when you have the Big Ten, you know, this is not like Indiana had to win that game to an NCAA tournament team. It would have helped tremendously, uh, but they've got 15 more shots for wins like that um, in in the Big Ten. Big picture, they're going to be fine. Again, I think they're more of the conversation of, you know, are you an NCAA tournament team? That would have gone a long way to help, but they've got plenty of time to rectify that over the course of the next three months. In terms of Indiana State, I thought that was massive. Uh, In terms of Indiana State, what I also think now you get into – um, you know, for the Sycamores is you got to get through tonight's inning at Tennessee State. Then you have a game that makes your season right. in terms of playing Michigan State. Yep. Um, because there as you well know, there are now fewer opportunities for wins like that, even for schools at a Missouri Valley conference level, to win a game like that one. So get through this one and then you've got eleven days to get ready. I don't care if Michigan State's down It is still at the Breslin Center. That is a a top-of-the-graphic win if Indiana State has a prayer of being an NCAA tournament team without having to win three consecutive days in Arch Madness. So it was a good win for them on Saturday. It was a great stage for them on Saturday. It was for Ball State as well. And in terms of Purdue, I am trying to listen to friends of mine to say, listen, enjoy this, given whom they have beaten, so far this year, um, and not just be that guy that says, I don't care, get me to March 22nd, because this should be fun. This should be enjoyable. They play a great brand of basketball to go and watch. um, And and the guard play was tremendous against Arizona. And that seemingly is the question, you know, for this basketball team. So a couple of cupcakes, speed bumps coming up which they have earned given how good their schedule has been to this point. So I'm trying not to be, you know, Stadler and Waldorf, the old dudes, you know, at the end of the Muppet show and saying, well, well, let's get to March. (laughs) So I I should acknowledge how how good and how fun that win was for Purdue on Saturday afternoon.
0: Yeah. And in an atmosphere too, and I think some people were surprised with what Purdue ended up bringing to the table, not, Purdue yep. fans, certainly, but I think some people that maybe were more leaning to IU, maybe not so much Purdue fans, I think they're a little bit surprised about how Cambridge Fieldhouse looked for that game.
1: Well, you heard me talk about this last week. I think it was on Tuesday last week that this event sold out, and, and, and being the second year removed from IU saying now nah, we're doing only the Crossroads Classic and then kind of Notre Dame and, and Butler following suit, um, I thought that was great, and again, um i'll admit to you you know like last year's event purdue plays in it what was a purdue davidson ball state illinois state i think was was the four teams last year and you you kind of begrudgingly said maybe iu was right you know if it's not a, a purdue butler doubleheader but to purdue's credit and obviously their success in everything but march madness has been great the last few years but I thought that was a big win for the Indiana Sports Corp and a big win for the Boilermakers in terms of the atmosphere, the W, the whole nine yards.
0: So your impression on 9-2 and two, Butler, they start the Big East tonight at home against Georgetown. The Hoyas are 7-4 and four with Ed Cooley in year number one.
1: we will learn a lot more about Butler, not just tonight, but obviously in future Big East games. But this is the step they had to make to get back to relevance. Uh, you know, Butler had has largely disappeared and I'll be the first to say it's in part because they are not airing their games on the radio station, which you and I are, are speaking on right now. I think that was a, 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 a miscue, um, you know, by, by both parties, to be blunt about it. Um, but they, they've not been worth talking about for the most part of the last three or four years. You know, they would have made the tournament in the COVID pandemic year, but that's been about it as of late. So now uh, you're, you're checking all the boxes. You're beating the teams you're supposed to beat. I'm not sure great how great Texas Tech, Cal, et cetera, are, but you're not flipping up and losing those games. So now let's see if, again, Georgetown, they're going to win with Ed Cooley. I'm not sure it's going to be this year. Right. They're going to win with him eventually. So take advantage of the opportunity. Get them while you can. Um, again, because of the conference in which they are now a part of, stack wins, to use an NFL term. Get to 20 wins. Give yourself a chance to be in the NCAA tournament conversation. I really think that's what it's about for Thad Mata and Butler right now. Oh, well, it
0: would be great to get like a Marquette or a Creighton at Hinkle House too, to yeah. add to that, too. I think that's kind of what you're you're bringing up in terms of Thad Mata's hopes.
1: Of course, yeah. I mean, again, this is one where even though it's your conference opener, Georgetown and DePaul have kind of been the two programs that, frankly, have been underneath Butler over the course of, of the last two- or three-year run so don't step on the banana peel get this one and then when you kind of resume league play at the conclusion of christmas uh then 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 get right back to it if you're the butler bulldogs
0: what do you got coming up later on this week
1: well actually um i I know that that kevin bowen is usually what wednesday at five o'clock is that right on the show yep kb
0: say hello john how are you hey there's kev what are we
1: We're doing, doing little, I'm taking a night off. We're doing a little road trip. So, literally, <laughs> um, we are on the south side of South Bend as we speak. Oh, How beautiful is this? Right. We are on our way to Purcell Pavilion. Kevin has not been to Notre Dame basketball game in, here in 10 years. I have not been to one here in 21 years. Because of Micah Shrewsbury being the head coach at Notre Dame, I've got several friends that are on the staff My buddy Brian Giffen is the radio, you know Giff, as the radio voice of the Citadel. Notre Dame and the Citadel play tonight at 6 o'clock. And uh, I've got uh, combos and Mountain Dew, and I'm sure more adult beverages will be available at Purcell Pavilion. But uh, I'm going to a game as a fan for the first time in forever here in about uh, two hours from now. So
0: who's who's the uh, former insurance guy from Brownsburg that's on that staff with Micah?
1: Everybody knows him as Ghost. He is better known as Ryan Owens. Yes, he played for ridiculous. Bruce Pearl yeah. down at USI, and that's who I got my tickets from. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Yes, it is. So so, so Ryan Owens on the staff, Brian Snow that's part of the operations uh, effort yeah. for Notre Dame. He went to Micah with Penn State. Obviously, I know Micah as well. Going to check out my buddy, Carlos Knox, is on the L.I.B. staff uh, up at Notre Dame as well. So this is uh, a little getaway and, and reunion time. Up here in South Bend, as we speak. In case you
0: didn't know, I've never in my life been to South Bend. Never, oh, really, never been there, not once. Okay.
1: Well, we're you're not missing anything, John. To be totally fair <laughs> with you, we're going through the scenic South Side, and I'm using scenic very loosely uh, as we drive through South Bend. But it's been, I think, I was here for a wedding, like the night that Tayshon Prince blocked Reggie Miller's yeah. shot in Game Two. Yeah. I think that was the last time I was in downtown South Bend proper.
0: I think the closest I've been, LaPorte. That's the closest I've been to South Bend, LaPorte, Indiana. And that's way, that's, like, that's way, way back. Like, I watched Kiss meets the Phantom in the park the last time I was in LaPorte in 1978.
1: True story. That's like potentially two feet of lake effect snow away from South Bend. That's
0: like a whole county west of here. Wow, you guys are rolling up there like Thelma and Louise. That's hell. That's fun, right there. Both
1: aging like Brad Pitt. So that's a very <laughs> apropos comparison to make.
0: Yeah. All right, you guys have fun, man. I appreciate that. And by the way, too, I've I've got to attend a, a funeral down where I grew up for one of my friends, unfortunately, tomorrow. So your pal and mine, our pal Derek Schultz, will be in tomorrow, and Derek will be talking to Kevin in the five o'clock hour tomorrow.
1: And they will have a, a very intelligent conversation. I have zero doubt about no that. No
0: question about that. Fellas, be careful up there and have a good time. See hey, dude. Merry Christmas, John. <laughs> right back at you, Kev. A ride with JMV. If somebody gets in your face and calls you a, I want you to be nice.
1: 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan.
2: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right
0: for you. Greg Reichstra. And Kevin Bowen doing their best, Thelma and Louise. Going to South Bend. Who'd they say? Is it Siena and Notre Dame tonight? So, Greg joined us, Podcast 107.5, thefan.com. JMV, I was at the game with no pick and pop. With 33 defense can take zero completely out of the game. That is even with Jackson playing really well. Hey, don't try to tell anybody on my timeline that, all right? Don't try to tell anybody that. One of these days, Milford, this is a true story, man. One of these days when some of these clowns around here get their wish, and if you're a clown around here, you know exactly who you are. When one of these clowns, some of these clowns get their wish, that is the first thing that they're going to realize. First thing. Like, I got it last night. 33 didn't even play. It takes away... Takes away something from the game that is significant that we have seen in the growth of this team, it does. But again, you add all three of those guys back, and that is still awful last night. Now, these guys, unless you're going to make some major deal, these guys within themselves are going to have to just find a little bit of pride. A little bit? Just a little bit. It's not like they're unathletic. Not like they don't know what they're doing. Why is it so difficult? Like when James Harden gets into it like he did last night, as much as I hate to see it, and he just clowned all over the Pacers, as much as I hate to see it, all right. And I know that they have three future Hall of Famers, as tough as that is to digest. But it's even more difficult to watch them put up 151 so effortlessly and then celebrate like Kawhi Leonard was celebrating well beyond. I, I didn't see him celebrate that much when he won an NBA title. And when you have James Harden doing snow angels on the floor, you show that film if you're Rick Carlisle again and say somebody's going to have to step up and do something. I guess if you have a long season, maybe pride doesn't kick in as well. Hey, you got another one coming up. Oh, by the way, at home on Wednesday to a team, embarrassingly enough, they've already lost to once at home. One of those five that we talk about. All right, we'll get back to that coming up in a minute. Rob Blackman, bottom of the hour. PFF, that's Pro Football Focus. His name is Brad Spielberger, and he joins us on this Tuesday, per usual, after four here in Indy. Hello, Brad. How are you? Hey, doing well. How you doing? Brad, it was an interesting weekend. Finally, the Colts get past the Steelers for the first time in about eight tries in what was and off its hinges, Lucas Oil Stadium on Saturday afternoon, early Saturday evening. They remain solidified in the AFC playoff picture, and maybe, just maybe, we saw the best offensive line performance of the season. I'm curious. I want to go there first with this offensive line. What did you and the fellows of PFF think about that offensive performance from that line, especially Brad, in the second half?
3: Yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I think you saw right away in the in the second half, setting the tone early was that, that pin and pull uh, run to the right for about 20 yards, just perfect execution, a great block from Andrew Ogletree as well. Uh, but Quentin Nelson comes across and has a phenomenal block uh, to spring. I don't even think it was Zach Moss. I guess it would have been uh, you know the third stringer at that point because uh, Moss was probably done with the injury. Yeah, Tyler Goodson,
0: yes, yes,
3: yeah, yeah. It was Goodson at that point, and, and it just kind of set the tone for because, like, quietly that game. Like you think about it in retrospect, you forget that they were down thirteen nothing, um, and then rattled up a bunch of points. But yeah, they, they were as good as they've been in any game so far this season. Um, a really, really impressive performance. But for me in particular, how they moved in the run game—you um, know, just clean footwork, clean execution, getting square on uh, on defenders and just driving them out of plays, Um, you know, displacing ends. There were good reps against Alex Highsmith, who's a problem in the run game. T.J. Watt's not an easy guy to move either. Uh, Even Kim Hayward got taken for a ride um, on a couple runs, which almost never happens. Like, they they, they did. I'm with you. It was one of the better performances they've had uh, in a very long time.
0: So, Brad Spielberger, Pro Football Focus, he's going to give us some analytics, some numbers from this past weekend. He's joining us via the Andy Moore Automotive Crew Montefru Potline. Who among, was it just everybody on this offensive line? Because if you remember uh, a week prior, we didn't think too much of it whatsoever against Cincinnati, especially with Bernard Ryman, second-year guy, struggling probably about as much as we've seen, certainly this season, at left tackle. But uh, did everybody across the board, especially in the second half, have an outstanding day for the Colts along that offensive line Saturday?
3: The only one to point out, and and it's a tough assignment for anyone, but the rookie break, Blake Freeland, going up against T.J. Watt, obviously got... Uh, some, some tough snaps out there, but yep. uh, the the best right tackles in football can look silly against T.J. Watt at times, but I think it's important to mention Ryman because I think it was a massive bounce-back spot for him, and Alex Heisman is a very, very good player. Um has one of the deeper bags of tricks. has a great spin move, a great inside counter, a good long arm for kind of an undersized squat guy like himself. Like, he's a nuanced rusher. He has a great second step to get good bursts upfield. He's a hard guy to block, and I thought Ryman... Handled him very, very well um, on the left side. I think him and Quentin were kind of the the highlight guys. Um, but then, yeah, Wolf Rise continues to play solid football, um, and Ryan Kelly really having a nice season, uh, just running the show, getting everyone in place. Uh, but yeah, as a run unit, I thought they were just they were they were exceptional.
0: So Gardner Minshew maybe had his best game of his career. Certainly, as a starter for the Colts, that was his best game, but maybe throughout his career as well. How well did he play under center for the Colts?
3: Yeah, that was one of the highest passing grades he's had not only this season, but the last couple of years. And I think the key for me there was against a good pass rush with both interior pass rushers and the edge guys. I've talked about At times, his footwork being a little bit spotty and and causing some problems. I thought he was so calm in the pocket and and didn't panic, didn't bail from clean pockets. He trusted the protection. There was a lot of, look, the RPO game and, uh, you know, half-field read kind of play action game, but just makes it simple for him. And the receivers were getting open with regularity. But I think he also deserves a lot of credit for just not panicking and just trusting the protection you know, outside of a couple of T.J. Watts backs, he didn't really get hit. Um, and I think he played really, really well inside of the structure of the offense.
0: Yeah, and I thought really – T.J. Watts stuff happened, I thought, early when they got out, when the Steelers got out to that advantage and then everybody around here was saying, oh, here we go again. And then really from that point on, and especially in the second half, I thought the Colts had ownership in the trenches on both sides of the football.
3: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The Steelers' offensive line, uh, we had three different offensive linemen for them give up uh, at least six pressures. Uh, three guys had a, a pass block grade below 35. It was the worst game they played all season long. So kind of the counter uh, to, to what we just talked about. I mean, James Daniels, the right guard, who's a good player, uh, earned a 0. 0.0 pass block grade, <laughs> uh, which if people didn't know, it is possible. It happens like three or four times a year because uh, the fourth Buckner was just, I, it was just, I mean, having his way with him. And like I said, he's a good player. So, yeah, I mean, the tackles for them uh, struggled throughout the entire game. Dan Moore, Jr., a left tackle, has uh, eight pressures on the day. Um, I think you saw another good game from Dio O'Dangbo. Um, you know, Quiddy Pagan home a couple times. But, yeah, like everyone played well. The return of Grover Stewart is really important, too. And not that he's a pass rusher, but I think he just frees up space for everybody else. He clogs at the middle, takes on combo blocks and, and things of that nature, um, and just lets other guys tee off. And you saw it in this game.
0: Yeah, it, it, and I'm going to say that most teams would love putting that second half together up front on both sides of the football. That's kind of a, a, a coach's fantasy, is it not, across the board in the NFL to have their team, both sides of the football, be dominant up front as the Colts were in that second half?
3: 110%. It, it almost makes the game of football look easy, right? You, you just control the line of scrimmage, and, and you just – you're imposing your will. Like, it's all the football cliches. Like, say them all, and they all applied to that game. They just, yeah, they just had their way with the Steelers on both sides of the ball. And it just, it, you know, like, I, I actually don't even think as much as I love Steichen and think he's been exceptional this year, I think it was more just execution than him being some genius, which is which is great to see. Like, you can't always have all the bells and whistles and, and just scheme things up and get guys, you know, running wide open and, and, and busted coverages and all that, which there was some of that. But it was really just, Really, really flawless execution. I think everyone's on the same page. And and sometimes it, 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 football can be a simple game when you play it that way.
0: So Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus, he's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. If you don't mind, I'd like to fast forward to this weekend. Christmas Eve, the Colts are down in Atlanta. And last we checked in on the Falcons, it was an absolute disaster against a then-one-win team that got a win over them in Charlotte in the weather in Charlotte, North Carolina as well. And they go now with Taylor Heineke and no more Desmond Ritter. What What's that mean in, in your belief for their why I bring this up for this reason. He looked good for the commanders here a year ago. Now, again, that was a different Colts team. That was a different team for him as well. But this substitution at quarterback may mean what, if anything, at all this weekend?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, Heineke is at this point is certainly better than it does in Ritter. I mean, Ritter has really just been borderline unplayable, uh, you know, for much of this season. You know, no wide receiver in that game had 25 receiving yards, and he was only pressured per us on two dropbacks. So it's like not even that he was dealing with you know an overwhelming amount of pressure against Carolina. He just was missing throws. Um, and and just not even seeing things. So Heineken comes with high variance, though. There's going to be some good. He's going to uncork it. He's not going to be afraid to let Drake London chase down a jump ball. Um, But he's also going to put the ball in harm's way probably more often than a Desmond Ritter. He'll take more sacks and and not just get rid of the football. Um, But, no, I I think it does matter. I I think he'll be motivated. He'll be inspired, and fired up to play. Um, And and I think it's more of like the, the high variance outcome. It could go great. Uh, it could go even more poorly, and they could, you could kind of throw them out of the game.
0: How, is, how do you view, and again, this is a very early view here as we're talking on a Tuesday that Brad Spielberg or a PFF, how do you view, again, this offensive line we were talking about looks so good for the Colts in the second half, that matchup with Atlanta on Christmas Eve?
3: Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing there, I think, will be the offensive line for Atlanta and the health. So, so, so Chris Lindstrom, their right guard, one of the best guards, maybe the best guard in football right now, did not play their last game, um, and, and that was a, a massive, massive absence for them. And so, you know, if he's still out, you are going to see, you know, problems caused by, you know, DeForest Buckner and others. So that's a big piece right there. Um, They've had a couple other injuries across the offensive line too. Um, that's something I would monitor going forward. Otherwise, their run defense has been good. They, they still have not allowed a rushing touchdown the entire season um, in Atlanta. Uh, and, and you see, um, you know, they just they, they gang tackle well. The safety's come up and make plays. Uh, against the run, the linebackers are, are fast sideline to sideline um, and, and don't allow a lot of explosive rushes. So, you know, breaking off those big gainers might not be there as much for Indy, um, but I think you can throw over the middle against them. You can throw to the cornerback, not named AJ Terrell. Uh, you can take on a little bit out wide. Um, I, I like the matchup overall because they don't really have a pass rush, and so Minchu should have time, and with time, and a healthy Michael Pittman, uh, of course. You know, I think you will find an open receiver more often than not.
0: He is Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus, every Tuesday in the four o'clock hour here with all the information, the numbers, the analytics that you need regarding the Colts and other teams. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group potline. And some of those other teams reside in the AFC South. How about those in the general vicinity of the Colts right now? Starting with Jacksonville, their situation in concussion protocol, their direction first, but their situation at quarterback with Trevor Lawrence. And then obviously the Texans survived in Nashville with Case Keenum and a late field goal in overtime. But no C.J. Stroud this past week because he's in concussion protocol How do you view the teams around the Colts in this run for the postseason? And really, right now, this run for the division title?
3: Yeah. So, you know, Houston has a lot of these these massive leverage games. The Cleveland game coming up is is a huge one. Are they going to have CJ Stroud? Are they going to have wide receiver Nico Collins? Um, It's going to be huge because, you know, then it's Tennessee and Indy to close it out. So, you know, this upcoming weekend against one of the best defenses in football. That absolutely shut out the Chicago Bears in the second half of that game. Granted, there were some drops and other issues for Chicago's offense, but but that's going to be huge because you know Jacksonville going to Tampa probably looked like an easy win coming into the season. Now I'm not so sure. I mean, that is a defense in Tampa that hasn't played well. Uh, but if Trevor Lawrence cannot go, can they score enough um, and take advantage of a very very porous uh, secondary for Tampa that is just decimated with injury? If they can't, you know, it's going to cause problems because the Jaguars' defense right now is just not playing good football. I mean, you can throw on them the boundary. Their run defense has regressed. It was great to start the year. It's pretty much average now. Um, That that defense is a problem. Like, it's not just Trevor and that offense not clicking and and struggling in the red zone time and time again. Their defense is losing their football game. So, you know, I think Houston is, is maybe even a bigger threat, as crazy as it sounds, um, but, yeah, I mean, the cult, the Colts are healthier, and, and and things are looking up, and I think everything is, is in front of
0: them. So, Brad Spielberger, a PFF, with us, too. Is it amazing to see what they're doing in Cleveland? You know, obviously with the injuries, with Joe Flacco and being 9-5 right now, is that kind of off the charts for you, the way you've looked at things with this team moving forward? Yeah,
3: yeah. No, I mean, the difference in quarterbacks they've had, where you go from a Dorian Thompson Robinson to a Joe Flacco, could not stylistically be different types of players um, and, and fairly seamlessly transition. And, and look, Flacco could have thrown five interceptions against the Bears. <laughs> like, uh, but at the same time, he's playing behind his fourth and fifth offensive tackle. Um, there, there have been other injuries. Of course, the defense for them has been pretty banged up recently, and they just continue to overcome, play really, really good in the second half. Devin Stefanski's had a great screen game all year with these, these tunnel screens to David Njoku and Jerome Ford, and just getting everyone involved in that offense and just working around the injuries and issues. And then, yeah, Flacco with all his experience, uh, just finding a way, 212 passing yards in the fourth quarter against Chicago. It has been impressive. I think Stefanski is kind of I kind of lumped him in with a Shane Steichen where they just they've been able to yeah. kind of completely change their offense um, and just overcome a lot of adversity.
0: What's your suggestion on the Bengals and where they stand right now? And it looks like that, that Jake Browning, granted, I mean, the Vikings did all they could to give away that game. Ultimately, they did on Saturday. But, I mean, Jake Browning's hanging in. They still have those skill position players. Obviously, the, the the chase injury is dealt them moving forward, now a blow. But what, what's been your impression on the Bengals here in the past three or so weeks?
3: Yeah, they really have been impressive. Uh, and I think the first game with Jake Browning, you saw them against Pittsburgh. They've not really pushed the ball down the field. And they've realized they just need to, and he's answered the bell. I mean, he was 10 of 15 for 200 yards and a touchdown on throws 10-plus yards downfield this past game. Obviously, the touchdown being that miraculous, you know, T. Higgins reached for the pylon. Uh, but he really has been willing to push the ball over the middle of the field. He's been targeting Tanner Hudson, the tight end, and Tyler Boyd, the wide receiver, um, and then they also that a great screen game. Uh, you know, Chase Brown, the rookie running back, has really come along the last month or so. It makes guys miss space. It's shifty. Just has more acceleration than Joe Mixon at this stage of their career. So it's really been impressive because the defense has not been kind of the Cincinnati Bengals defense we're used to. The offense has kind of had to come on and and answer the bell with a backup quarterback, and they really have.
0: So, Brad Spielberger, a pro football focus on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We made light of this team maybe a month ago, but after certainly that win over Dallas in the fashion in which they did uh, in their home stadium, it kind of seems like Buffalo is on a different plane right now. What do you think about Josh Allen and the Bills moving forward?
3: Yeah, they might be the hottest team in football right now. And and the offense really was pretty much good the entire season. You know, there, there were some times where they struggled in the red zone or – you know, struggled on third down and couldn't run the football. And I think that's the biggest thing is that Joe Brady comes in um, and his focal point, it seems outwardly has been getting James Cook involved, getting him going. I mean, he is top five in scrimmage yards the last four weeks. And the bills had a buy in week 13. Um, that's how involved he's been. And you look at Joe Brady's history. He's worked with Christian McCaffrey. He worked with Clyde Edwards there at LSU. Like he knows how to get these, these lighter, shifty or scat back type players not that McCaffrey is falls in that bucket necessarily, but line him up in the slot, get him the ball quickly in space. Um, you know, it's just it's been really, really impressive what he's been able to do. I think that is the difference. I mean, Josh Allen barely barely threw the ball uh, against Dallas; they, they just ran the ball down their throat. And I do think that's the one difference maybe you could point to with Joe Brady taking over for uh, Ken Dorsey in Buffalo.
0: Kansas City have issues enough right now not to believe that they can't go deep into the postseason or. This is just a lot of worry for nothing, in your estimation.
3: The worry's real, but at the same time, there's just no juggernaut in the AFC, right? So, you know, Baltimore without Mark Andrews still has their issues. Um, you look at, the you know, Buffalo's defense, yes, they play well against Dallas, but they've been not a very good unit for much of the season. Like, they do need to figure it out. Rasheed Rice, the rookie receiver, is coming along, is playing much better football, emerging as that top option besides Travis Kelsey. But going forward, long-term, like, it's not going to be a consistently contending roster, but that said, just because of all the quarterback injuries, if they get some home playoff games with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, uh, you know you, you can't rule them out.
0: It's uh, again, Brad Spielberger. He's a PFF, and I'm assuming writing about a lot here later this season because things around here are incredibly fun. I'm assuming you're having a great deal of fun as well.
3: I certainly am, although uh, the Colts fans should be happy. They don't care about my content just yet. I'm doing free agency work. So the top 50 free agents just came out. Yeah, uh, top 100 is yep, coming out uh, this week as well. A lot of Colts on there. Talk about Grover Stewart, Julian Blackman, um, you know, a bunch of names. You know, top of my head, I can't think of them all. But, yeah, that, that's what I'm working on uh, is the top 100 free agent list right now. So keep an eye out for that. And hopefully doesn't matter until after the playoffs for the Colts.
0: Where's the Michael Pittman Jr.
3: rank? Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's a top-ten name for you right there.
0: (laughs) And I want to ask you this, and and I want to see him get back because he took an absolute wicked hit on Saturday in that win over the Steelers. But he is somebody that gets catches in bunches, but it normally does not equate to large levels of yardage. How do you view that in terms of how you and others at PFF view a number-one wide receiver? surrounding the yeah. nfl throughout the nfl in this case
3: yeah i mean his profile is so so unique and i talk about it a bit in the article because a focal point is finding comparable players and uh, you know kind of help people have context of similar situations in years past and go look hey i'll go check out the stats for some guy from 2016 and what did he do and how does that inform the situation trying to find an outside receiver a six foot four 220 pounder with an average depth of target of eight yards down the field, uh, it doesn't exist. Basically, there is is not a a clean comparison player for a Michael Pittman. So it's interesting. Is is that entirely because of him? Probably not. You know, I think this year with Anthony Richardson, I bet his average depth of target would have gone up a good chunk. I think you are seeing him with cleaner footwork out out of his breaks and creating more separation. So it's not all contested catch stuff and all, you know, possession-type receiver stuff. I think he has. Improved his lateral agility and, and, and getting open, um, but yeah, I think he's a franchise tag candidate. He's, a, he's too good to let go. Um, he's you know catching the ball in the red zone and scoring more frequently, and, and all these high leverage moments. He's been great. But yeah, it's a fascinating and, and very unique profile for
0: Michael Pittman. He's just a badass dude. He is, and I, I, listen, I don't think there's any way the Colts think about letting him go. Nor should they in this case.
3: I, I don't think they can, uh, you know, especially with a rookie contract quarterback and just a young quarterback that you want to grow. Like, I mean, he's a quarterback's best friend. I mean, like, truly, you throw the ball to Michael Pittman, you're confident he's going to catch it. Um, whether he's in traffic or it's a little bit off target, he's probably going to come down with the football. That, that's a blessing for a guy like an Anthony Richardson.
0: Uh, it's a Brad Spielberger again. Grover Stewart, Grover Stewart, and Julian Blackman. You brought them up. Just a couple of, of bits and pieces. Again, this is more for the off season. But what about in the present time? Your thoughts on on their return and their market value?
3: Yeah, so Stewart, it's always tough to gauge with the, the suspension. Um, but you know, for example, David Onimata had a six game suspension. Yeah. Uh, you know, different different player. But uh, you know, did, did did very well in free agency. So maybe Stewart's fine there. Um, And then Blackman's fascinating, too, where he kind of was their deep third free safety in this Gus Edwards cover, uh, Gus Edwards, Gus Bradley uh, cover three scheme. He's been playing in the box on like 70 percent of snaps this year. And I actually think it's a better fit for his skill set. You know, former corner in college, I think you see some of that, the ability to make more plays by lining up near the line of scrimmage. um, And obviously, yeah, had the interception in this past game. I think it's a good fit for him. You know, I think he is willing to kind of throw his body around a little bit. Anyway, uh, market value for both isn't crazy. You know, Blackman's skill set is, is, is kind of a, a skill set you can find in free agencies fairly easily. Um, and then Stewart isn't. But obviously, you know, a run-stuffing 30-year-old nose tackle coming off the suspension, they're not really going to break the bank uh, per se. So I think both guys, if they want to have him back, they could. And the name I forgot to mention was Kenny Moore. Yeah. Uh, he's having, gr- having a great season as well. But also, again, you know, as good as he's been – Slot corner is just not a competitive market. So I, I think if the Colts want these guys back, they, they, they could have them all back. They're top five in cap space um, for 2024. They, they have a lot of flexibility financially to do whatever they want.
0: He is Brad Spielberger a Pro Football Focus. You can find all of his work there. You can find him at 4 o'clock every Tuesday, breaking down those numbers with us right here. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Brad, fantastic job per usual. We'll do it again next week.
2: Sounds great. Thank you. John, what is up, my friend?
0: Was that just an incredible environment that you soaked up and could not get enough of on Saturday afternoon at Cambridge? Because I had actually sent a text to Matt and said, man, that looked fun as hell.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was. (laughs) uh, It was. uh, I'm probably fair to say 95% of the building was, and it was a full house, Mm -hmm. it was a sellout, but... 95% 95% of the building it felt like was rooting for Purdue. And I mean, look, it makes sense. Obviously, a your team you're playing is coming in from Arizona, so they're not going to have a lot of fans. But it felt to me like the, the Indiana State and the Ball State fans that stuck around, they chose to root for Purdue as well. So we are grateful for that. But yeah, you know, it was, you know how this event has worked in the past, John. There have been so many years where it was Indiana and Notre Dame and Butler and and so you no one team really ever kind of took over the building because all four were normally pretty well represented. Um, but yeah, it was, it felt like a home game. Uh, that was for sure on, on Saturday. That was fun.
0: Um, I was always curious about this and I think we're deep enough in the season and gone through enough. I mean, from the Maui Invitational and, you know, clearly right now the boilers have the best resume going in, in college basketball. Now, It's meaningless in mid-December, but it's going to mean something uh, certainly at the end of the Big Ten campaign. Um, Did you see a way, a fashion in which this team, and and not Matt and the coaching staff, but this team, the players that endured that first-round loss back in March, that they've overcome that, or is that still a work in progress? Do they have to get back to March to completely overcome it?
2: I think to completely overcome it, yes, that's the only way you can erase that demon is to get back to March and have success, Uh, which really kind of stinks in a lot of ways because this team is so much fun to watch right now. And quite frankly, you know, what Zach Eady is doing, um, I don't know if fans are appreciating it. Quite frankly, I'm not sure if I'm appreciating it enough. I probably should be appreciating it more, but... We haven't seen anything like this since Glenn Robinson. And that's <laughs> that's saying something, uh, considering Glenn was the number one overall draft pick. Um but yeah, I mean look, uh, that that that's a demon that only gets exercised in the NCAA tournament because that's where it happened, right? That's that's where uh it that's where it all occurred was the NCAA tournament. So but uh, you're you're correct. Um it's only mid December, but I would I would hearken back to one of the great lessons the the late great Larry Clisby taught me as he always said, you, you you never get excited about a team until you're 10 games into the season. It was always his theory that once you're 10 games in, you pretty much know what you have. Uh, and Purdue's 11 games in uh, and they've, uh, well, they've taken care of everyone that's been on the schedule outside of Northwestern. Uh, they have, what, uh, four wins now against teams ranked in the top 11. So uh, yeah, I uh, I'm I'm kind of liking what I'm seeing at least through the first eleven games. That's for sure.
0: He is the voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman, on the Andy Moore Automotive and Group Hotline. Purdue back to number one in the nation again, ten and one on the season. And as I mentioned, the exercising of demons for what took place in the first round of the NCAA tournament last year for the entirety of the team. It seems like that you got a couple of guards, and we've talked about them before, Smith and and a lawyer who get motivated to do something like that every single game because you know, you hear, you read what is being said about you, and it seems like, and I know that this case for Braden Smith, that is true. I mean, you can absolutely see it. These guys get the motivation out of those that believe that they can't do what they believe deep inside in that backcourt for the Boilers they can.
2: Yeah, certainly doesn't hurt. And, you know, it doesn't hurt that this early portion of the schedule has been loaded with really good guards for the other team. So the challenge is always out there. Uh, we haven't, you know, outside of Ballo, quite frankly, on Saturday against Arizona, we haven't played a really good, really exceptional five man uh, center, low post player where. You try to get Zach Edey motivated to go against that guy. You don't have to get Zach Edey motivated; he's good enough without the extra motivation. But there have been so much good, so many good guards that Purdue has faced to this point. That yeah, uh, I think it's easy for those guys. I'll tell you what I—I I know you're talking about Brayden here, but I was just thinking about Fletcher Lawyer earlier today, John, because I'm doing a little just a little prep work for Thursday night. Nice,
0: well done, Fletcher.
2: Well, <laughs> hey, when the Jacksonville <laughs> Dolphins come to town, you better get out ahead of that.
0: Hey, are you going Uh, to have a lot of artist Gilmore stories to tell?
2: Please don't steal my stuff, okay? I'm I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry. Thanks. Thanks a lot.
2: Uh, The the thing with Fletch, you know, so his his two best games of the season, scoring-wise, 27 points uh, in both of those games, have come against the two best defensive teams we've played, uh, Tennessee and Arizona. Uh, So you know he's got a little extra motivation when he sees teams that are uh, top five in the country in adjusted defensive efficiency and in, in scoring uh, defense. Uh, so I've, I've, I've appreciated the fact that those two guys have really taken their game to another level. But more importantly, what I really like about Lawyer and Smith and Edie, if you look at their numbers, John, across the board this year, all three of them play better against the high major competition than they do the mid-major and low-major guys, which to me is a really positive sign. Their numbers are better across the board when they're playing – uh, the the, uh, the Arizonas and the Alabamas and the, and the Marquettes of the world than they are when they're playing, say, a Sanford, right, or a Moorhead State. So uh, that, to me, is the most encouraging part because I've been around this thing long enough to know we've had guys in the past that put up some pretty, pretty impressive numbers, but if you really dig deep down and, and look at it, it happens against the lower-level teams, so the numbers get inflated a little bit. That has not been the case of those three guys. They've actually been better – They've been at their best against the better competition. So, so here's hoping that that continues.
0: Hey Rob, I know it was Fort Wayne and it was Westfield in high school. Did, um, did lawyer and and Smith have a rivalry in high school?
2: Uh, not a bunch. Remember Fletcher didn't come to Fort Wayne until oh, yeah, junior in high right, school. You're right. Uh, yeah, he's a he's a Clarkston, Michigan kid originally. So Oh yeah, was,
0: that's where that five kid is from, man. Exactly. Eww. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he's only been
2: it was only in the state of Indiana for two years. But uh, you know, you think back to that their senior year, yeah. a lawyer was named the Gatorade Player of the Year for the state and Braden won Mr. Basketball. So you're splitting hairs there over who who was the best player in the state, but uh, they both could claim claim that they they were <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, there's not there's not a whole lot to speak of rivalry wise yeah. because they didn't they didn't hardly play against each other in high school because uh, Fletch is like I said from from Michigan. Yeah,
0: you know, it's funny too, and and I don't know if this is I'm assuming this is just their personalities, but and and maybe I'm just wrong about this, which is not going to be the first time. But I, with lawyer, sometimes I can see how things are going for him. I think he shows it like in in terms of like rounders is, is one of my favorite all-time movies. And he's got yeah. a tell. Whereas with Smith, you can't tell what the hell is going on with him. He's always <laughs> the same, which, and, and I guess that's just their personalities that you see right there, but that's just, that's kind of my read on them both. Right or wrong.
2: Uh, I don't know. Probably right. I guess I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. Uh,
0: Why, would you know, you, right? Why would you? Right. Why would you? So, Yeah. And,
2: the other thing I hadn't thought of until uh, last night on the coaches' show, uh, it was brought to my attention that Fletcher normally not normally almost always has his best game after he's just had a poor game. And the more I thought about him, like, that's correct. You know, he did not play well against Alabama last Saturday, and then goes for uh, goes for twenty seven against Arizona. So, uh, if you want to tell for Fletcher lawyer, uh, if he if he's coming off a bad game, uh, then he's probably going to have a really really good high level game the next time out. But yeah, I guess what you're saying is probably correct. I just haven't really ever thought of it that way. As, um,
0: is, um, to me, when you have a deep team, there's something about having depth, but there is always somebody that wants more clock, more playing time. Is there ever any discussion about any players not so happy with the amount of time they're getting or do you understand what you're getting into? And you know what, if you play harder in practice, if you play harder when you're inserted into the game, then you'll get more time. Is that just what we're talking about here? Or is there ever any discord regarding that with that team?
2: I don't know if there's discord. I I would say, I think the only two guys that right now are learning that, that lesson that you're talking about, about playing hard. And more importantly, giving you something on the defensive end have been the two freshmen uh, in Heidi and Colvin uh, for those that have watched us closely this year you have seen when they come into the game if they have a breakdown on the defensive end or they you know their guys just blowing right past them whatever it might be they don't stay in the game very long <laughs> so now on the flip side when they have done a good job on the defensive end uh then they have seen some extended minutes so i think those are the only two guys kind of learning that hard lesson most freshmen learn that lesson so that is not uncommon at all uh, but you think about uh, like Trey Kaufman, would be a good example. Yeah, he he's, he starts every game, but he only plays about eighteen minutes. Um, actually, Mason Gillis plays more minutes per game than does Trey, and Mason's coming off the bench. I don't think either one of those guys are disgruntled or not happy about their playing time. They're both playing about the same amount of minutes, roughly. Uh, and Trey gets to be in the starting lineup. So, yeah, I haven't, you know, and Matt has done a as he always says. I you know he says this every year. I start the year thinking I'm going to play ten. And by December 1st, I'm down to nine. And by March, I'm down to eight. And by the NCAA tournament, I'm down to about seven and a half. So for the moment, he's been pretty good about playing nine. And I think as long as, like I said, as long as those freshmen are given Purdue something on the defensive end, uh, they're going to continue to be a part of that rotation.
0: Yeah, it's funny. He handles that. that. The way you put that sounds exactly like how NBA coaches handle it. Because you start the season, obviously because you don't want to wear anybody down, but when you get into when it really does matter, those rotations shrink down where they're minuscule compared to what they were when you started.
2: And look, paint's always been pretty open about this. You know, if I can't trust you on the defensive end, the chances are you're not going to play a lot. <laughs> so, uh, unless you are Carson Edwards like offensively right now, yeah. you could put you could put up with some some deficiencies on the defensive end with Carson because if he got on a heater, obviously he's going to go go for thirty five or thirty eight points. Um, there's I don't think there's anyone on our team right now that is Carson Edwards like in that manner. So, uh, yeah, if, 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 if like I said. If if paint feels like you're giving them something defensively, uh, you will find your way uh, into that rotation. Uh, If not, uh, it's going to be kind of tough for you.
0: Have you found even more listeners with now the implementation of Peacock as we witnessed Uh, this past Saturday?
2: It is really funny you would mention that because on the coaches show last night, I did have a number of folks come up to me and say that they listened to the radio because they did not have Peacock. Um, now these are older probably yeah. 50 plus age folks so yeah
0: right in just, my category is what you're saying right, right. here Yes, don't
2: want to mess with the streaming service <laughs> um so just now that's the only that's the only feedback i've gotten john on that yeah. but it, again it's only been really the only game that the major game has been on peacock so judging from just that one night's nice worth of feedback last night i would say yes we're, we're getting some more some more listeners but Keep in mind, Purdue IU and Bloomington is on in, is on Peacock. Yeah, I got to keep uh, in, that in
0: mind because I might have to pay for it or something. Uh, probably, I probably. <laughs> yeah, I
2: mean, yeah. Look, you put number one versus number three. You put on Peacock, and and Purdue, Indiana
0: is on Peacock. But uh, I've got Noah Eagle coming uh, on here uh, in the five o'clock hour, and he was on Peacock doing the play by play. I'm a double right. agent, <laughs> I think, right now. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey man, he doesn't care. He's getting paid the same no matter what. I'm sure he doesn't care. <laughs> Hey man, does Matt like that coach's show? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you what—I'll give you the facts. Your <laughs> yes. <laughs> does he ever get a chance to go home, or do they just keep on coming well, at him?
2: For for the all the, for all the years I've been doing it, we've always done fourteen shows a year, and Matt has done all fourteen, unless there was a, you know a, a rare emergency that right. popped up, which was very rare. Uh, starting this year, uh, Matt is now doing seven of the fourteen. Uh, and the assistant coaches are doing the other seven, so I'll just those are the facts. I'll let you draw your own deduction there of if you think Coach Paint likes doing the coach's show
0: now he's, have,
2: cut, he's cut his schedule down in half Have this you
0: year. Have you been privy to anybody, any of the fans that come out, which is cool for you, right? Come out for you and join you guys up there in West Lafayette that's ever tried to pass along their basketball advice to him
2: <laughs> not not live and in person I'd, phone callers.
0: I'd really want to see that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> i remember last year we had a phone caller trying to uh trying to uh explain to coach paint how we could be better offensively uh and at the time of the phone call purdue was second in the country in adjusted offensive efficiency so as you might imagine that 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 conversation i think fell on deaf ears but uh hey um that's that's what makes the coaches show so much fun everyone can offer up an opinion
0: so from 14 to 7 now huh yeah, so next time you have paint on the show, yes. say, hey, uh, how come you don't do all those coaches' shows so anymore? I, I drive all like, the way up there to be a part of the crowd because I want to give you some offensive advice and you weren't there.
2: <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm sure he'd love to get some <laughs> advice on, oh. on how to attack the zone or what, well, you oh, know what,
0: oh. what inbounds play
2: Purdue should run on the baseline. Yes, yeah. It, I'm is, sure he'd love it.
0: It is glorious to hear that, I'm sure, especially with the calls. I, I can't believe you guys take calls. Can't believe it.
2: Well... We've, we, the least now, maybe this could change, but yeah. so far this season, we have not taken a single phone call. <laughs> <laughs> so.
0: Well, and this is the season you need to be like right now is when you need to be taking them.
2: You would think, right? Yeah. Normally you would think that most of the folks are happy and they can't wait to tell you how great you are, but you'd be surprised.
0: All right. I'm not going to interrupt any of all the research he's done regarding the Jacksonville dolphins and Artis Gilmore.
2: So Do- Hey, the Dolphins, here's one for you, played a home game yesterday at 11.30 in the morning. How about that? 11.30 tip-off home game on a Monday.
0: Was there a reason for that?
2: I have no idea. I thought it was quite odd. However, you're playing a home game at 11.30 in the morning on a Monday? I don't know.
0: Man, I remember this is probably four or five years ago. The late, great Robin Miller put together a fundraiser for ABA players, and it happened in the lobby of this building. And I went downstairs after the show and and artist Gilmore was there, and George wow. Gervin and and some of these great names of the past. and it was awesome. I mean, I have to admit, it was absolutely awesome to see that. and and artist Gilmore was one. and artist Gilmore people tend to forget, I mean because he, they were in what the final four in 70 or 71, something like that. but he played, I mean he he played for a long time. You know, through the ABA and then the NBA, but it was incredible to see him.
2: I remember him as a kid being one of my favorite players. And then uh yeah, you mentioned George Gervin, the Iceman. I mean that that's pretty mm. cool right there, man.
0: Pretty awesome. All right, um you guys get Jacksonville and then you get Eastern Kentucky. Before by the way, too, that Maryland game when you restart the Big Ten is on Peacock. On January second, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. On Peacock. Peacock game with Maryland. So oh okay well that's great hey all well right. here's the thing you get more listeners you gauge that and then you have them pay you more say hey look <laughs> okay i think we need to yeah. up my salary a little bit because look at all the listeners that are on here now
2: john now you know i never discuss salary negotiation <laughs> in season <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just yeah. like the players i i wait till the postseason. i just I know, like yeah, i
0: just like pray please for the love of god want me back Right, please. Doesn't want me back <laughs> uh,
2: again. Uh, just like the Kliz, I've been working on uh, 19 straight one-year contracts, as he like to say. I worked on 40, 40, straight one-year contracts. So yeah, just always man. happy to be asked back to do it the next season.
0: The Kliz was such a stud, such a, <laughs> stud. a stud. Tell me about it, stud. Mm. Right there I know you guys are have conversations about him all the time, man. That's that's near oh, and dear stuff nice. right there. Hey, when we're at like
2: team meals and stuff with the coaches, we get to go and tell and clear stories. Oh, so much oh, fun! Man. So much fun!
0: Pleasure, buddy. I appreciate that. Keep going strong, and we'll check back in with you. You and the family have a great holiday too. Okay.
2: Okay, John. Yeah, same to you. Merry Christmas, man. My right, buddy. See you,
0: bud. We'll see you. see you. So, Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilermakers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn
2: more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and
0: talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. From NBC and then some, Noah Eagle joins us. Can I call you veteran broadcaster Noah Eagle? Does that apply? (laughs)
4: I mean, you might be the first one to say it, but I'll take it. I will take the season term. I've been waiting for quite some time for a couple of years here, so I feel like, yeah, we're getting there. I think if I were an athlete uh, five years in, that's generally veteran status.
0: Noah, did your dad tell you that we sent him some bourbon over the summer? <laughs> no, but I don't know
4: if I've ever seen him drink bourbon in my life.
0: <laughs> well, I know he only does it in the off season if he does it. He's got strict rules. Summer iron mode. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. This path has been really awesome to watch you be a part of now and these gigs that you're doing. I I can't imagine how much enjoyment you get out of this every single week.
4: Well, I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, I think that's probably the right term is enjoyment and excitement. And, really, that was why I got into this. That was why I did it. You know, I I got to watch my dad over the years, and he was happy. He was ready. He was jumping for joy when he got another game, another assignment, got to get out of bed and prepare for another opportunity. And I think I saw that, and I got to go with him every now and then to a game that was broadcasting, and I got to see the intoxicating feeling that he got. And then once I, I tried it for myself, I felt the same way. And so, yeah, it's just been it's been a ton of fun. And I think that hopefully that comes through in every broadcast I do because that's why I do it. I just enjoy it. And so it's been a, a fun ride so far.
0: Is that Noah Eagle on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline? So did you enjoy watching your dad do a specific sport? And if so, is that the same that maybe you most enjoy doing right now?
4: Yeah, I mean, he obviously has done so much. I'd have to say it was the the field hockey championships in Romania from 1999 that really piqued my. Head.
0: No, no, I don't <laughs> think he ever did that anyway. I was uh, looking. I was going to look on Wikipedia and see if that was true. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing. I could have said anything. And you're yeah. Growing, yeah, he probably did. That oh, at some oh, yeah. Point
4: because he has he has stretched himself across all sports. No, I think that for me, you know, growing up in New Jersey, certainly and. And him doing this specific thing literally my entire life it would be calling Nets games. And I think that's where I really developed a love for sports was following the Nets. They were really good when I was young, going to back-to-back NBA Finals, battling with the Pacers. And I remember going to Game 5 where Reggie Miller hit that buzzer beater and then hit another buzzer beater to go to double overtime. And that was one of the first seminal moments of my sports fandom was being at Continental Airlines Arena to see that happen, to see it unfold. And then the Nets would eventually pull away Jason Kidd who would win the game in double overtime. But those were, I guess, the formative memories in my sports fandom. And so it'd be hard not to say watching him do NBA basketball on a consistent basis. But, yeah, everything he's done certainly uh, seeped in there somewhere and somehow. And so that one just, I guess, it's kind of risen to the top, if that makes sense.
0: You Noah, know you did for Peacock, Purdue, and Arizona this past Saturday here downtown at Cambridge Fieldhouse. How was that environment for you?
2: Oh, it was
4: it was elite, legitimately elite. It felt like an NCAA tournament game. the The intros felt like a Final Four type of atmosphere. The crowd and and kind of the back and forth affair. There were more Arizona fans than I expected there to be, but obviously the overwhelming feeling was Purdue support. And, boy, did they look good. The Boilermakers are strong. And Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer played just fantastic basketball. And as a result, that environment really did deliver for a top three matchup. It was, it was special. I think that's the best way to put
0: it. Do you know how many Boilermaker games you have in the future? I've got a-
4: yeah, I've got a couple more coming up. A couple more, I think, in January and February. So I'm looking forward to it. I think well-deserved that number one ranking in the country as well after what they just proved.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, that's it's funny, too, around here, and I'm, I'm sure somebody had told you about that during your preparation, is that a lot of Weathermaker fans, you know, this is great to them, but they're waiting on what happens late in March because still of that soreness of a year ago and really what has has hampered this team in the past, and that is what they end up doing in the month of March. And I I think it's almost sad, too, because if I'm a fan of a team like this, I would want to enjoy every single moment. But to some, you just can't do that until you see them exercise those demons of of last March, for example.
4: Yeah, and you know what? I think that it's obviously easy to go to this example, but I do think it applies that Virginia team from 2018 to 2019. The 2018 NCAA tournament – they lose that UMBC in that first round. UMBC just shoots the lights out and shocks the Cavaliers. The way they came back the next year, everyone can say, you know what, they played with a chip on their shoulder, which I think is probably true, and everyone was questioning, well, I don't think Tony Bennett can get it done in the biggest games. He always seems to fall just short. He has the best teams, and they don't figure it out. The biggest thing, aside from playing with that chip on their shoulder that I took away from that team and I think is eerily similar to this Purdue team is you had guys that now had been through it. You had guys that had experienced the lowest of the low in the grandest stage. So now they knew what to expect. They knew how to handle themselves. Kyle Guy knew how to handle himself. Ty Jerome knew how to handle himself. DeAndre Hunter didn't even get to play the year before in the tournament, but he had been around for an entire year. He had played as a freshman, so he grew now as a sophomore. And I think that's the case with this Purdue backcourt. They got so much stuff said about them last year after the way they performed in the NCAA tournament. I think people easily forget Braden Smith was a freshman. Fletcher Lawyer was a freshman. Now they're sophomores. They've got corporate knowledge of how this works, of what it feels like to play in a game like that. And certainly now playing in these games that they've had early this season, you know, they've beaten more top teams. They've got more quad one wins by a decent margin now than anybody in the country. And I think it's because of that knowledge and that feeling that they already had from a year ago. So I'm not saying that, Hey, this guarantees them to win the whole thing, or it even guarantees them to get past that second weekend. But what I do think it does, it provides a little bit more of a confidence from a team perspective, because you felt it, you've seen it before. And I just, those two guys in particular, certainly brain Smith. I think he's been a, a lot more consistent and Fletcher lawyer has, Obviously, shown some incredible moments already this year, but just having that feel that Brady Smith's in control, especially at the point guard spot, I think goes a long way when you pair it with the national player of the year.
0: Yeah, you talk about 2019 and Purdue, different team altogether, but has some up close and personal <laughs> yeah, relations no with that Virginia team that you're describing right here, led by Kyle Guy. No question, and that was. To me, the seminal
4: moment of that team, right? To get through that game, because that in the year before, if it was 2018 and those two teams were playing, I think Purdue probably finds a way to win that game. Or I should say Virginia finds a way to lose that game. But given all the experience they had from a year before, given everything they had been through together, they found a way as they grew to power through. And I think it's a perfect example of what It could look like for Purdue this coming year.
0: It's uh, Noah Eagle joining us from NBC, Peacock, um, also NFL on Nickelodeon. So you got the Monday nighter coming up here with the Chiefs and the Raiders. Is that correct?
4: Yeah. So we've got a a game Saturday on NBC and then Monday on Nickelodeon. So one will have slime, one will not.
0: Okay. Now, who's your partner?
4: On Nickelodeon, we've got Nate Burleson. That's what I thought. Yeah. Always outstanding and has just settled in to Mr. Nick in so many ways. He's, he's dominant <laughs> in a role.
0: Now, now, I know you've probably heard this a thousand times, but um, obviously your play-by-play craftsmanship speaks for itself. But did, they also, did you also have a spot because you're pretty close to the age group <laughs> in Nickelodeon too? Did that help?
4: Yeah. You, you know what's funny is, <laughs> So when, when this happened, this all started a couple of years ago. This is the fourth year now we're doing it, which is crazy. That is because we didn't even we didn't even really know what was going to happen after year one or during year one for that matter. And before it all started, they were trying to figure out okay who are we going to have to do this? And I was one of the names floated around. And so the Nickelodeon people said, hey, we want to talk to them. I was like, great, yeah, let's do it. So I hop on a Zoom with them, and I vividly remember being asked, hey, did you? It's not a requirement. That was the preface. Which is always an interesting preface. So you know, like, hey, okay, it's not a guarantee that I have to say yes, but it'll help if I say yes to whatever the question is. And the question was, did you watch Nickelodeon growing up? Or do you still watch Nickelodeon at all now? <laughs> and I am, at that point, I think probably 23 years old. And I'm like, yeah, yes, I did. And I start not only quoting and naming shows, but doing impressions. I mean, I was going left and right. I'm telling stories about me and my sister, and I find out later, you know, years later, honestly, maybe a year ago or so, that I was one of three candidates for the role, and I was the only one who actually brought the knowledge to the table, and I sold them right there. So, yeah, I do think that (laughs) at least having that closeness in age and closeness in what I watched growing up and what I was consuming throughout yeah. my life certainly helped not just to get me the job, but then once I actually had it, if you watch our, our broadcast, a lot of it is Nate and I doing a lot of quoting and referencing and stuff of that nature and just kind of being big kids. So yeah, I think it's helped as we've kind of embarked on what has been a really interesting journey.
0: Yeah. That's, that's awesome right there too. So yes, yeah, SpongeBob SquarePants helped you land a gig right there. That's yeah, beautiful. Exactly. No, I know this is, so for all the parents that are listening right now, if you hear,
1: I'm ready,
4: don't turn it off. Just embrace it. Accept it. Realize that there could be a light at the end of that rainbow. Whoever knows how it comes together.
0: That is awesome. Noah Eagle joins us. He's got the Monday night Nickelodeon game. I'm curious. I know you guys probably get messaged regarding... You know, games, whether, you know, you were doing the Clippers, for example, or you're doing what you're doing on Peacock now or, you know, on the Nets games. I'm sure you get emails about broadcast and questions and, hey, you're doing a great job. What type of messages, if any, do you get from those that are watching the Nickelodeon broadcast?
4: Yeah, I'll be honest. Maybe the best messages. They are. Really awesome, especially that first year because it was so novel and I think people weren't sure what to expect. If if we're being honest, I'm not sure we were sure what to expect as we went into it, but the the messages we got from a lot of people were this was the first time that my son or daughter sat down and watched an entire football game, or this is the first time that I got to watch as an entire family with my kids, or this was the first time I ever even heard of The Loud House, Lincoln Loud or whatever else, you know, little things like that. And then some other messages like, wow, you just brought me back to my childhood or wow, I completely forgot about that show and what it did for me growing up. Little things. So, yeah, those are the types of stuff that we hear type of things that I don't know if we've even come to expect. You know, I think we just go and just have fun and we don't really have an expectation even after doing the last three years. But it's been it's been very cool to see the response, and I, I hope that people you know continue to enjoy it because we continue to enjoy doing it.
0: Good for you, man! That's awesome, right there. It is uh, Noah Eagle, Noah and Nate Burleson have it on, and that again is Monday night with the Chiefs and the Raiders on Nickelodeon. So they tell you in your ear when a splat is coming or something like that when those effects are coming.
4: <laughs> not necessarily, not always. Sometimes it's reactionary. You know that first year. They were trying to slime me, and I was ready for it. <laughs> I was kind of peering over the shoulder throughout the broadcast because I was expecting it, and then it never came. So then that second year we did it, right before, maybe a couple days before, they did find a way to slime me. So I was officially welcomed in to the Nickelodeon family. But, no, I, I, I say that every now and then they'll say, hey, this is coming, and then sometimes they don't tell us anything, and we just have to naturally react to what we're seeing.
0: All right. I think think this is the case you can help me but one of the worst games of all time here with the colts involved were you on the call of that in minneapolis yeah. last year? because it's it's almost a year to the date i think we're a couple of days past it but what december yeah. 17th a year ago in minneapolis were you a part of that yeah i i was there yeah oh
4: lord yes, i was i was on the call i was that oh. happened <laughs>
0: that will go down in history as one of the worst games of all time around here. Yeah.
4: And honestly, you know, obviously when you're doing a broadcast, you're right down the middle. And we were very much that way, but it's always tough when you meet with both teams because we loved both teams. We loved our meetings with both teams and we loved sitting with Jeff Saturday and Matt Ryan and and really chatting with them. And they were just so gracious with us. So those are always both exhilarating and tough because you've got both ends of the spectrum there. But it was a, it was a game I'll never forget. And I will say, and I, I had not done a, an NFL game, I should say, at Lucas Oil Stadium, so I cannot put this in there yet. But I will say that U.S. Bank Stadium is very impressive, especially for a game like that. I, I think those fans deserve a lot of credit. They stayed despite being down 33 nothing. I didn't see anybody <laughs> leave the building. Like, that is hard to do, and there are not many places you could say that about. And, again, I haven't haven't gotten to a game yet at Lucas Oil, so I can't speak to that. But I do know that U.S. US Bank was very impressive.
0: 33 to nothing at the half, and the Colts lost in overtime, 39 to 36. Of all the embarrassments of all time, again, that's at the top of the list. That's incredible.
4: Well, the craziest thing was that – so I, we didn't even know that that was the case until, obviously – Someone gets in our ear, someone lets us know, hey, if they did come back. This, they didn't even start thinking about it until maybe it was 36-21, to 21, I think, at some point. And at that point, they said, hey, this could end up being the largest comeback. And I'm like, oh, cool. Who, who was the previous one? They go, Buffalo. And Frank Reich was their quarterback. I'm like, oh, that's a crusher. That's like a double whammy. So, yeah, that was the freakiest part to me of the whole thing was obviously – the connection there from earlier in the season and and all the way through, but it was it was definitely cool to be there. I did feel I've got plenty of fa- uh, friends either from Indianapolis or Colts fans. I felt for them, but I was uh, I was thrilled for my Vikings friends at the same time. So again, that that double edged sword is always difficult.
0: You know what's weird about that entire situation when when Jeff took over on an interim basis, Jim Irsay. It wasn't gonna take much for Jim Ursay to bring him back because Jim really wanted that to work. That was his idea and he wanted that to work. And, you know, you look at that game and then there's that game at home against the Commanders where there was a, a late touchdown. There there were, you know, Philadelphia, for example. They had Philadelphia what we thought on the ropes late in that game in November of a year ago. If a couple of those games happen, then Jeff Saturday is still the coach here, and we don't see Shane Steichen, who everybody around here absolutely loves right now.
3: Yeah,
4: and now is the front runner for Coach of the Year, right? and rightfully so for the job that he's done. Obviously, losing your starting quarterback, bringing in Gardner Minshew and playing the way that they have has been wildly impressive, but without a doubt, it's it's always interesting those sliding door-type moments, those domino effects, and this is one of them, but Again, I will say that Jeff was an absolute pleasure to chat with and hang with. He was just – it was very funny because he had come from doing TV and he was saying to us – I think I worked with Nate for that game as well, and I want to say there was Nate who asked him, you know, was there anything that surprised you about doing TV? And he said, yeah, I, I didn't realize how difficult it was until I started doing it. He's like, I didn't realize what you guys are trying to do tomorrow is going to be incredibly difficult. And I was like, oh, all right, that's very nice of him to say. But he actually has the experience, so he can actually back it up. But, no, he was he was wonderful. But to your point, Shane Steichen has been a, a home run hit so far this season, and we'll see if they can finish the job.
0: Yeah, you look back on it last year, and if he gets a win or two, and it could have easily been had. They had some close games then he's still the head coach, and we don't hear about Shane Steichen being here. And I think a lot of Colts fans would bristle at that right now, considering how excited they are in year number one of Shane Steichen around here. So it's I, I guess it's I guess you got to go through. It is like Shawshank Redemption. I mean, 500 <laughs> yeah. yards of blank smelling, you know what, to get out yep. clean on the other side. I guess.
4: That's an all-time great movie. thank and you. and i'm not I'm not telling anybody to go through that. I'm not telling anyone <laughs> to do any of that. But if it does lead you to your private beach island, yes. then you got to do what you got to do.
0: you do. And that there is no doubt about that. So I, I got our executive producer, Todd Meyer, who's down the hall, who's big time Purdue fan, wanted to know if Robbie Hummel tried to get you to go out and hang out with him after the game this weekend. <laughs>
4: <laughs> ah, Robbie. Robbie is, I will say, a pleasure. He's a pleasure to be with, a pleasure to work with. However, when we do a Purdue game like we just did, and we, as mentioned, we will have more coming up, the amount of photos that he gets asked to take, and rightfully so, this is someone who up until about a week and a half ago was top 10 all-time in Purdue scoring and was an absolute legend as a Boilermaker. But the amount of photos that he got asked, I, I was crushing it on the angles of the photos. I was absolutely dominant in my photography skills leading up to the game, post-game. No one wanted a photo of the back of my head. There were a <laughs> lot of selfie takers, though. And I was sitting there, and I'm like, oh, the back of my head's going to get in this. He goes, ah, can we angle this way a little bit? And I'm
0: like, oh, oh, I
4: got out of there. What, what just happened? But, no, he's been the best. And, and it's been an awesome just working with him. He's outstanding on the air. He is incredibly knowledgeable, not just about the Big Ten, but really college basketball as a whole. So I'm excited for the rest of the season. We've we've had a ton of fun so far.
0: And I'm going to tell you what, I I have loved building a relationship with, with your dad and having him on here often. And I'd like to do that with you, too. I love storytellers and just love kind of having the casual conversation. And, uh, I mean, you, you and your dad, I, I can see you went down a great path right there. Because you guys are, and I'm getting a lot of people in response of having you on for the first time. We got to do this again because this is a great conversation. I really have enjoyed it.
4: Absolutely, no, I appreciate that, and and you know where to find me anytime.
0: All right, well, let's let us know too. You get the Boilermakers game on Peacock. Hey, by the way, are you going to the Olympics on NBC too? You got the, some calls for that.
4: It's very, very possible, but. I'm going to have to uh, go full Dave Chappelle and see oh. the one, two, three, four.
0: Fee <laughs> <laughs> No, I appreciate it. We'll do it again soon, man. Thank you.
4: Sounds great. Appreciate it's
0: it. So, Noah.